Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go wellbeing and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and wellbeing tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. Um, Thank you very much for joining us for tonight's conversation, uh, which is all about Labour's new education policies. If you've clicked the little play icon on the listen back, um, then thank you and and welcome. Uh, Welcome to those who've already jumped in, Paul and Paul, Paul and Paul, um, two listeners already in in the live. Welcome to you. Um, I've got a a really nice uh, panel of really interesting contributors and guests for this discussion tonight. Um, I've got Marie Williams, who is already here, which is really great to see, who is a Deputy Head and History teacher, um, and also is sort of invested in Labour because she was a Labour Party mem- is a Labour Party member and stood for Parliament for Labour in 2015. So we'll be speaking to Marie later on in a little bit. Um, I've also got uh, Jamie, uh, who is joining us, who is an NEU rep, uh, but also a Labour councillor. So again, it will be really interesting to hear from him around uh, his views on Labour's education policies that have been announced so far. And at about 8, 8.15, um, Adam Boxer will also be joining us to throw his two pennies into the conversation um so yeah it's going to be a really sort of interesting conversation um and we're going to be running through all the policies or as many of the policies as we can it's quite a detailed document that labor released um sort of four days ago uh called five missions for a better britain um and it was i don't know about 20 pages long so obviously uh, 23 pages to be precise so I'm I'm very much breaking down the policy. We're not going to cover everything in ninety minutes, but we're gonna we're gonna cover as much as we possibly can. So I think that now would be, or just before I do introduce my guests, a massive shout out to our sponsors on the show. Soon you'll be able to see them um, pinned into the space as well. They are the Happy Confident Company, um, who provide clinically approved well-being programs that you can use in your classroom or in your school. Uh, we at Teachers Talk Radio highly recommend checking out the Happy Confident Company. Many of our hosts have done so. They've only had really good feedback to give. Um, it's well worth checking out, and it's all about innovative approaches to improving student well-being. 
that's how I see it anyway. I hope they, they'd agree with that. Um, and also our other sponsor is Pearson MFL. Um, and if you are interested in more modern foreign languages, then we've got two shows from Pearson MFL on the website at the moment that are really, really good, looking at um, the culture divide and cultural capital divide in language learning, um, and also the relevance of language learning. And we've got our third in the series coming up tomorrow night, live on Spaces at 7.30pm, um, which is all about languages beyond the classroom. So if you're interested in any of those and listening back, please visit the TTR website and have a listen yourself to those uh, hosted by Darren Lester, really, really good uh, sort of discussions. So let's introduce the guests. Marie, do you want to unmute yourself and say hi? We'll just check we can hear you first. Hello. Yeah, it's Marie. Uh, Marie, nice to... thank you. No, no, no problem. Um, nice to be here. Thanks for having me on. Wonderful. Can you very briefly introduce yourself? So my name's Marie Williams and I'm a deputy head in a secondary school in North London. And as you said earlier, um, I had a little uh, break in my teaching career when I stood for Parliament. So I was a candidate for two years in Cardiff North, which is where I'm from. Um, and it was a marginal seat. And uh, yeah, I fought the election in 2015 and uh, lost and the Conservatives got in in Cardiff North. Although... Oh, no, Marie. Uh, now it is a Labour seat. So, um, yeah, so it was a good experience and one that I talk about quite a lot with uh, students. Wow. So, um, like, I mean, this seems like an obvious question, but you must have been completely gutted after two years of work, like leading up to that. Yeah, I, I would say gutted was a, a good description of uh, how I felt. And it was a, it was an extremely close seat. So uh, previously, uh, the former um, MP who had been uh, Julie Morgan, she'd lost mm. by 194 votes. So everybody was like, oh, it's going to be fine. You're going to get in. Um, but that wasn't the case. So um, but nonetheless, I did take a lot from it. It was an amazing experience. And because it was a marginal, it was a really high profile campaign. I really enjoyed the campaigning. I learned lots. I felt like we did have an impact uh, in those two years and some of the campaigns that I um, led on, you know, had an impact in Cardiff in the longer term, stuff around cycling, green belt. So, yeah, still pleased that I did that for those two years. Fantastic. And then you, you, you presumably decided to go back into teaching at the end of those two. Did you, you took the break from teaching for those two years to stand as the Labour, to be a Labour MP, and then presumably you went back in at the end of those two years. Was that in a different school or, or did your school hold your job for you? <laughs> yeah, no, my school did. So um, it probably helps to go back a little bit. So um, in 2012, I decided to leave my job as a, a deputy head in a, a school in Hackney uh, to cycle around the world for a year. Um, I wow! Didn't, I, I didn't cycle around the whole world, but I did cycle um, across uh, the United States, and my friends are very bored of me um, mentioning that. Um, but wow! As, no, I'm not. That's great. <laughs> that's good. Um, and as a result, uh, kind of later on in the trip, when I cycled in uh, Australia and New Zealand, and I was in um, was kind of uh, further around in India. And I heard that Cardiff North was looking for their next uh, parliamentary candidate. And so that's how I ended up going back home, because actually, um, and it will be interesting to hear later from your other guest, who's also a councillor, I know, yeah. it, 
to to stand to try and get selected is um you know it's quite it takes a lot of time and if your job is a kind of full-time teaching type job then um that would have been really hard to do but because I wasn't teaching um to campaign to get selected was much more possible uh so that's kind of how I got selected so then I was a candidate for two years um and it got really involved in as as I said local campaigning saving bus routes in Cardiff um setting up Cardiff Cycling City with um other keen people on uh who cycle um campaigning on stuff around energy prices and then uh yes and then lost and then in answer to your question so then I just look for a job at a similar level that I'd um left at and I got a fairly last minute deputy head job in Wembley so yes it was there, there was definitely some kind of risks over um employment there wow well listen I mean later on I might be asking you um because I know Jamie's got to go at eightish, so I might I might be asking you after eightish a little bit more about that because it's really interesting. Before I introduce Jamie, uh, Khalil's here. I'm giving a special shout out to Khalil, a teacher sort radio legend. Um, you know, long time presenter, great guy. Um, it's great to see you, Khalil. I hope you're well, mate. Um, you know, uh, uh, and uh, yeah, it's great to see you here. So uh, definitely. Uh, check in late you've always got good things to say so uh definitely consider checking in later if you hear anything relevant um right jamie are you there uh yep yeah, i'm here right do you want to introduce yourself to everybody yeah, thanks thanks very much so yeah as you mentioned before um i'm a councillor down in uh, dover district council um i'm deputy leader of the council actually um so we've just won enough seats to to take the council from the Tories for the first time uh, in about 20 years, I think, uh, which was absolutely amazing. So uh, there's there's a few councils now down in this area that are that are Labour-led, which is um, brilliant for us. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a physics teacher as well in Dover. So um, the question that most people have been asking me recently is how do I manage to do all of yep. those things? Um, that was going to be my time. first yeah, question, yeah, Jamie. I, I assumed, and I think that's what Mary was getting at as well. Um, I also just, you know, to put it out there so everyone's um, clear, because I like to be transparent about these things, I do work for the NEU as well. Um, so I'm a local um, officer for the NEU. So I, I, I do two days a week um, for the NEU and I do two days a week teaching, um, yeah. which does give me a little bit of flexibility, I suppose. Um, where and then a day, a, a a day, day what, what about a day the fifth work? day? Uh, a day where I don't work because I I have my daughter on that day who you can yeah. probably see in my uh, my little picture there Matilda. So where does so um, where does the Labour councillor stuff come in then? So essentially, uh, I have to try and squeeze it in at some point during those times. Uh, obviously, while I'm teaching, it's obviously very limited because I'm, yeah. I'm in the classroom teaching. But uh, the NEU work is is quite flexible. You know, supporting teachers and things like that is often done kind of in the evenings. Um, kind of done at, at times that, that suit teachers and so that does sometimes leave me a bit of time uh, and so yeah I have to try and juggle juggle a diary of um, trying to run a council um, and and support teachers um, which which is good actually um, it leaves me time to to plan my own my own diary essentially um, so um, you know when we talk about recruitment and retention issues in in education um, I think one of the big issues is that like many sectors can you can be flexible in education you, you possibly can't 
Um, and so where I work for the NEU, um, I, I can be a bit more flexible, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting because presumably, like, what is the next step from councillor? Is that is that MP? <laughs> um, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy um, as I am at the moment. Um, you know, yeah. this is fairly new to me. Um, yeah. So being being deputy leader as well as a first time councillor is, is um, quite a big big step, I suppose. Um, yeah. And so for the time being, yeah, I'm I'm good as I am. I mean, you know, if I could could be an MP, I think yeah, that'd be great because I think we could do with some um, certainly younger people, certainly people with with slightly different backgrounds. You know, actually having mm. worked in schools, um, having having done work where you actually feel the effects of the decisions that are made higher up. Um, you know, whoever's in government. Um, you know, if you've never done those jobs, um, you kind of think making those decisions and it, it's never affected you, you. You wonder, you know, how how much time and effort is being put into them. So, I mean, yeah, I'd love to if I had the opportunity. Um, right, Jamie, because I know I've only got you for sort of 20, 25 minutes. So I want to I want to really yep. start like digging into the, the Labour policies because you and Anne-Marie are obviously both very much sort of Labour members and invested in in Labour. So I just want to start with a very broad question. How do you feel about the latest raft of Labour education policy announcement? Are you generally happy? I mean, how do you feel about them? Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, I've read through this 23 um, page document. Um, I'm I'm guessing most people are probably not going to do that. and did listen to Keir Starmer's um, speech. I think whatever whatever you think about Labour at this point in time, I think there are definitely some positives in here. Um, I think it's always going to get criticised as a document of, you know, there's lots of grand ideas, but but not much kind of substance to it. Um, I think that's that's typical of a a political policy or a political Mm -hmm. document, I suppose, when there's no election coming up. I was thinking this morning about you know, the, the stuff I was producing for our local elections, um, you know, we said things like we're going to produce 200 council houses per year. We've never told anyone exactly how we're going to do that. Um, you know, we, we just kind of make that that promise. And so I, I think there's some some quite big kind of um, claims in here um, that they're going to do um, that I think are definite positives. Um, so things like early years, the fact that, that they're going to you know, put a bit more focus, a bit more emphasis on that. I think it is a definite uh, positive. If you, you know, if you if you get kids really early on and you can um, develop them early on, if you can put funding in, you can have a good quality workforce early on. I think that's definitely a positive. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy that that's in there. Um, they talk about delivering childcare places. Um, I know childcare uh, early years isn't just about childcare. They they talk about that in this policy. So so I'm grateful of that. Um, but you know there aren't spaces for children in in these nurseries in um, in early years. Then that does put a, a strain on the economy. So there is a wider issue to this, um, and I think that's kind of pointed out in this policy that education and and the wider economy um, kind of come hand in hand. So I think that's quite um, important um, that that they start with security. You know, people having homes, people having breakfast um you know people being able to afford basics people being able to work means that you know kids are happier as a whole so i think that's a positive um i think most people probably winced slightly when they talked about a broader education um because more tinkering of curriculum uh or curricula i should say probably um, makes people squirm a little bit as it did me um but i think actually when you read down into it, it it's more about not 
narrowing the curriculum as maybe some of some of the kind of the, the matrices that we use now, the, the way that we look at schools and the way that we measure them forces us to narrow. So, so I think it's just widening that back out as opposed to trying to stuff the curriculum full of bits and pieces. But then I do worry, you know, I teach physics. I sh- we struggle to cover the content anyway. And, and I worry if you're going to try and fill it, fill the curriculum time with loads of other stuff like oracy and like wider subjects that we are going to run out of time in, in the curricula. So something's going to have to give at some point. But, you know, this is talking about curricula and assessment review. So I'd like to think that there's an opportunity for teachers to have an input in there. So I think there are some there are some really big positives. There are some bits that I'd you know I'd really like to see some some more um, you know detail. Jamie, I, I want to ask you because I want to start digging into these sort of mm. policies because we in, in some areas we do have some detail. We have some yeah. sort of you know specifics. So the first one I wanted to talk to you about, very well publicised one, which is the idea of paying two thousand four hundred pounds yeah. to teachers after two years. Um, yeah. Do you think this is a good idea? Um, well, you know, as I started with the, the fact that I'm, you know, an NEU activist and an officer, absolutely paying any teachers any more money is great in my book. Um, but I think, you know, going back a few years, we've had bursaries for, for teachers joining the profession. Um, you know, when I joined, I got a fairly sizable bursary for being a physics teacher. And if you've been in those shortage subjects, um, you, you, you know, you, you could well have got those bursaries. Has it actually helped people stay in the profession? Well, no, is the answer, isn't it, really? Um, so have they helped? Um, well, well, not necessarily. This policy kind of goes along and says, well, we would look at redressing that. I think they, they say that we spend something like £181 million on bursaries and they would look at kind of spreading them out a little bit and looking at um, specific geographical areas. So, so if, if an area needs more teachers, could we could we put that money there? So I think that's a, that's a better way of doing it um, or looking at specific subjects this year that are a shortage. Should we put the money in there? But I still think, you know, they're proposing this £2,400 after two years. Does that still keep people in education? You know, is, is a five year marker a better time? But, but then you could push it back to 10 years. And then I don't I don't know if there's any if ever a good time of just giving someone a one one off lump sum to keep them in education. You know, should we actually be talking about the things that actually push people out or the things that put people off? You know, I alluded well, to it at the me, start. Let me, let me throw yeah, sort of a, a spanner at you there, uh, yeah. Jamie, on that one. I mean, they've said this policy, the £2,400 after two years policy, will cost £50 yeah. million, pounds, yeah. um, which sounds about right. Now, that's yep. quite a hefty sum of money. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's not unlimited amounts of money. You know, there, there can't be whatever government is in, is in office. There, there can't just be an unlimited stream. So, therefore, it's sort of, I mean, the critics would say it's very easy to say, oh, yeah, let's, let's do this, but let's also do this and this and this and this. Yeah. If yeah. the two thousand four hundred pounds is a priority, which obviously is because they talked about it within this within this raft of initial policy announcements, yeah. then then we we do have to sort of put that against other things that money could be spent on. So, but but for... I think but I think the point is is if you keep those people in, and and I'm a I'm a big advocate for retaining you know quality teachers. You know, this year we saw forty thousand teachers quit. That was without those that retire. That's nine yeah. percent of the profession. 
you've got to retrain them or train more people and that that's costly you know so although there's a cost to paying out that 2400 to people in their second year you know that there's still a cost in trying to recruit they also say in this document they want to recruit six and a half thousand new teachers um you know if we kept those those quality teachers who've got a couple of years experience ultimately that would be cheaper you know in the long run wouldn't it so it's from my point of view it's spending money now that in the future then doesn't need to be spent because you keep those people in education you can kind of start you know winding down on on the numbers that you've got to recruit because trying to recruit that number of teachers when we struggle at the moment is going to be difficult for for whoever's in 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 power but but for example i mean one option might be to invest that money into more ppa more free periods for teachers on their standard timetables because you know, in a in a where, where there are, and, and also I suppose you've got the issue that the, the, there's that alternative, but mm. you've also got the issue of that. You know, there are. Is there then an issue of well, hang on a minute, what about the experienced teachers? You know, with yeah. with the attrition on experienced teachers is just as bad as on younger teachers or, yep. or newer teachers, but actually, you know, the, the the provision is just for just for the new teachers. And, and um, this is, and this was my point at the start, I suppose, that actually where I do kind of half my time teaching and half my time um, doing union work, I can be more flexible. If you teach full time, you, you don't have that flexibility. Well, you know, that's something that education doesn't have over many other um, professions. So, you know, if, you, if that's something you want from your working, being given £2,400 kind of is irrelevant for lots of people then, isn't it? They, they, they see their mates working in... Um, professions where they can work from home, they can go in the office once yeah. a week. That might be but that's, what, but that's what's driving was, them out. Yeah, and, and, and so actually... That's why I was bringing I, I, in the I, PPA angle, because yeah, that, totally that would agree. potentially provide a little bit more flexibility, especially if you were allowed to be off-site during those free periods of PPAs. I'd, Maybe that would give a little bit more of that flexibility to taught, more staff. The first school that I taught at, we had 20% PPA as a standard because they budgeted for everyone to have that. Yeah, um, and and you wouldn't believe the effect that had on my workload. I could essentially get the vast majority of my work done in my school day, um, yeah. and and then you could leave leave with the kids at three o'clock um, if if that's what the Daily Mail wants you to believe, and and you you almost could because you you'd pretty much done everything because you you had twice the amount of PPA time. Yeah, um, you could actually be responsive to what's happening in your your classroom. Um, I mean. Um, I know secondary school, I'm talking about secondary school. I know primary schools do their PPA slightly different because you normally have it in, in a bulk. Um, but, you know, it, it allowed me to pretty much have a PPA every day. And so you could like quickly mark some stuff that kids had done, a test that day and give it back to them the next day. And, and it was so much better. And so actually, would teachers prefer that? I, I think they probably would rather than um, a £2,400. I noticed someone saying they've worked for 16 years. Would they get it? Well, Exactly. Where do you draw the line then and say these people mm. are going to get that money? Are we saying that we definitely want those two year teachers, but we're not really that fussed once you reach five or 10 years? Who are the people training up those early career teachers? You know, they're the ones that get lumped with extra workloads. You know, should mm. we be actually giving them a pay pay amount? So, And also, I suppose you've got I suppose you've got the issue of how much difference pay rises in general and, and, and sort of 
retention bonuses. I mean, I know Labour have said, you know, the research says that they do make a difference and, mm. you know, and, and that across the board. But within teaching, I, I, I'm just not convinced that that, um, you know, is, is going to make a key difference. And I do feel, um, as you've just said, that, if you were to balance that against one or two other options for fifty million pounds, that maybe you'd see better, you'd see bigger results. But yeah, I mean, the the union was the NEU was offered um, uh, what they were offered very recently, the four and a half percent with a thousand pounds one off payment, and it was overwhelmingly rejected. So, um, do teachers want a one off payment? Well, you know, very recently they said no. Um, yeah, so... yeah, because there was a one thousand within that. Yeah, within <laughs> yeah. that offer. So I mean, would I say no to a two thousand five hundred payment? Well, no, but it does. It's not going to be for everyone. It's for a select few, essentially. Does it tackle workload? You know, does it stop people working silly hours a week? No. Does it allow them to do their job in a reasonable time? No. I'd actually prefer um, that that they really look at workload. I mean, they do talk about it in this uh, in this document. Um, how they're going to retain excellent um, teachers and leaders. And actually, you know, I'm, I'm again, pleased that Labour are acknowledging that this isn't just a, a, a teaching issue. This is an issue for support staff because a lot of support staff could go and work in um, retail and earn more money and, and have a better quality of life. So it's an issue for support staff too, uh, you know, that, that we're struggling to recruit head teachers, you know, when they work on average 56 hours, um, you know, a week. You, there's no, you know, you can see why lots of head teachers are, are saying, do you know what, I can do something less stressful um, elsewhere. And so I'm not completely convinced that just, you know, for, for second year teachers, that that payment is going to do a huge amount to, to, to sort out recruitment and retention. Do you think so? For example, there the would be sort of um, critics who would say, it's all well and good to say, yeah, retent, um, recruitment and retention is is the number one thing um, on the agenda. But unless you've got actionable, proper policies behind that, that will actually do something about that, then it is just all talk. You know, that's what the critics would say. Yeah, I think... I don't think there's, there's one thing that's going to solve um, the issues in education. Because, no. you know, I think... Yeah, go ahead and, and give teachers a 20% pay rise or a 50% mm. pay rise. All of a sudden, you've got loads of teachers. Would that solve the crisis? Well, well not necessarily. If you went ahead and, and made it so that everyone had 20% and workload was manageable, would you solve the crisis? I think you've got to do to do both of those things. I still wholeheartedly believe that retention should be the main focus um, and not recruitment. Um, because I think once you've got people in that want to be a teacher... You, sh- you should be able to keep them in, shouldn't you? you you've gone, you know, you've, you've, you've bothered to train. Um, you've, you've said you want to do this. You've, you've gone through all that effort. You've got yourself a job. And then for 40,000 people to, to walk away, I think is, is, is absolutely insane. Um, you know, that's, that's a huge number of people that you've, you've now got to recruit that you just needed to keep them in if you made it a nice job to do. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and I also think I've worked in a school where we've been so short on teachers that that massively affects the workload of everyone else. Yeah. And so yeah. even if that school gave everyone 20% PPA, you'd end up spending your whole time doing cover for the teachers that they didn't have. And so you, you can't just solve one of those issues in, in isolation. Um, you, you've got to do something 
really meaningful on both. And so, you know, talking about, um, you know, revising the delivery of the early career framework. I know a lot of teachers that say that they're having to mentor um, um, uh, trainee, uh, not training teachers, um, ECTs. And they just don't have the time or they haven't been given the training. And mm. it's almost just a tick box exercise. And then in my role as an NEU caseworker, we're seeing loads and loads of ECTs struggling or being told they're failing just because they haven't had the input that they should have should have had. And so, you know, there's, there's not the people there to support the new teachers coming in. There's not the time for them to spend with the new ECTs. And so it goes round and round in circles, doesn't it? You, you need the time yes. in schools. You need the, the staff in schools. Just give a shout out to everyone listening live. Um, Rory, Guy, Peter, Sam, Georgia, uh, Paul, Jen, uh, Shanna, hope I've pronounced that correctly, um, Paul, uh, Hannah, Nathan, Phil, and obviously we've got Marie. Marie, I want to ask you now about this £2,400 thing after two years. What do you think about it? So... I became a teacher back in 1999 and part of the thing that convinced me, not convinced me, but kind of nudged me into, yes, I'm going to do this, uh, was that then uh, if you did a PGCE, um, you got paid to do the PGCE. I think it was £6,000. And obviously that's not the what Labour are promising for this election. But I think um, also at the time there were, golden hellos for different shortage subjects um for teaching in um different areas recruitment and retention points um and so i think those things do make a difference and if people are uh, if the stats show that people are dropping out before they finish and actually if you finish those first crucial years then you're more likely to stay in then just having a as payment that is just an incentive uh to keep you in the profession for that time obviously it's not it doesn't help to keep people in for five and ten years and i know there are um dropout rates at five years but i think it's it's good to have that and i i think um my favorite line in the in the whole document was that it was about re-establishing teaching as as a profession that is respected and valued as a skilled job which delivers for children and our country and I think what I if I reflect back on uh, teaching how it feels now to how it felt in kind of 2003 um, is that it feels like it doesn't have as much respect and part of that is because it's tougher and tougher and as there is a shortage of teachers, teachers, so as Jamie was saying, the job gets harder for other people and then less people want to join. Um, and I don't think all the policies um, that are put out are going to solve everything, but at least they are understanding the problem and would be taking uh, education in the right direction. Um Marie, I'll come back to you in a second because I, I, I want to sort of move on now. Um, I know Jamie's got to go soon. So, Jamie, I want to ask you about the um, the, the super teachers. Mm. <laughs> that yeah. wasn't a sound effect. That was me. Um, but the super teachers, um, these are, for anybody listening, this is Labour's plan to launch school improvement teams um, into 
so-called in inverted commas struggling schools to to in inverted commas and I'm putting these inverted commas and statement mm-hmm. in save them. Um, you know the super teachers. Uh, what what is your view, Jamie, on on the the super teachers idea? Is that me who's gone, or is that Jamie? Oh, hello. Hello, Jamie. Can you hear me? Yeah, I, I realised I have a limit on my social media and it just uh, chucked me out. <laughs> ah, OK, no problem. <laughs> can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you fine. So what is your thoughts on super teachers? I mean, I'm all for uh, the way that they're proposing reforming um, Ofsted, uh, because, again, this is an NEU um, thing that we've been, been banging on about, um, because I think, again, one of, one of the big... Sh- stresses um is that not necessarily Ofsted but the way that schools react to oh Ofsted want this and we've got to do this for Ofsted and I think a lot of the time we make a rod for our own backs by oh we've got to do this for Ofsted when um uh you know actually that that's not necessarily what they they want at all um I think any anything that is proposing support for schools I think um on the whole I, I would probably agree with I think coining it though as these super teachers um, I think um, might be a little bit patronising uh, to to those of us who um, are probably quite capable of just getting on and teaching um, just fine. Um, you often find, you know, absolutely excellent teachers in all different types of schools, uh, whatever their rating is, whether they're, you know, considered um, outstanding or whether they're con- considered um, to be um, inadequate. And so I-, I think, yes, supporting schools and helping them um, would be great. I mean, similar to maybe what local authorities used to do um, back in the day. Um, you know, lots of schools will have a school improvement partner that works with them, uh, you know, like a critical friend. Um, I suppose, again, it, it's it's one of these ones where looking at the detail is, is going to be going to be the, the, the key. Um, these teams coordinated by civil servants will offer school support drawing on the expertise of teachers and leaders across the education system. Well, again, you know, what, what might work well in one school might not work well in the next one. So do we, do we want someone coming in and kind of imposing something on your school? Um, Are civil servants necessarily the best ones to be telling a school or teachers in a school what to do? Um, I don't know. Um, But again, I think the detail is going to be important support help and guidance i think it, it would be helpful um what do you think of the argument jamie that the yeah. academies uh, and trusts already provide that you know mm. there is that argument out there that hang on a minute and this has come from the cst actually that the, the uh, confederation school trust they've basically yeah. said you know we as trusts already do this mm. i mean i think there may be trusts that that, that do that uh, I think a lot of trusts probably think that they do that um, and they don't necessarily do that. Uh, again, I work um, across a whole range of schools, um, you know, independent schools, LA schools, big academy trusts, small academy trusts. Um, and, it, and it kind of tends to be the big academy trusts where you get a lot of kind of one size fits all policies that one school does and then they impose it onto others. Um, there's not a huge amount of support necessarily that goes along. It's more of a these are the policies we want you to follow. We want you to have these set PowerPoints up on the screen. We want you to use these set phrases um, and you just have to use them. And it, it, the support aspects maybe isn't quite there. I think some smaller academies uh, most likely do that. 
um, because I worked in a, a much smaller academy that supported a number of very local schools. Um, and, and there was a lot more support, you know, a Senko in one school helped train up a Senko in the next school, um, for example, or, you know, an assistant head swapped schools so that they could work under a very experienced head teacher and, and train them up before they moved back to their previous school. So there are some academies that, that, that do that. Yeah. So I'm not going to, not going to disagree with that completely, but I know that there are some, you know, very large multi-academy train chains across like nationally that, that, Maybe they think that they do that, but I, I imagine the people in the schools probably don't agree. Mm. Uh, Marie, uh, what are your <laughs> thoughts on the super teachers? <laughs> um, as it's Marie, but um, Marie, I... sorry, that's all right. If I don't say it now, it'll just carry yeah, on. Drag um, on. Uh, so they talk about, as Jamie was saying, a set of regional Im improvement teams. Um, and I know the press have picked it up as um, using different language. And I think Jamie's right that schools always need school to school support. And it talks about all schools focusing on school improvement, which I think is right. I agree that some trusts are very good at doing this, but not every school is in a big trust. A lot of schools are in actually very small trusts single academy trusts or uh, a few schools and actually to have those links is really important to have them organized because otherwise you end up with schools that being uh, are being left out i was at a um a session on at the festival education uh, last week and you know everybody on the panel agreed you've got to do this in schools and this to me is just a sensible way of uh systematizing it so that you don't just have um, the the regional commissioner um, trying to be in charge of something which they're not actually doing and leaving it to the trusts. So, um, so are you I'm... like um, Murray? Just to be clear, are you yeah. are you sort of generally pro the idea of this of having uh, people? Well, I, as Jamie said, it exists already. As schools have a school improvement partner, um, it happens in. Um, local authority schools it happens within trust so i think this mm. is um just making sure that every school um has good links and has good people to work with um and that those improvement teams are appointed on a regional basis so they have a, a kind of overview uh, which i think we've been missing a bit in the last mm. few years i mean I th yeah I think, on, tom can i just jump in i think i think what we what we'd be I'm, tr I'm not trying to be negative about all of this at all because um, I, I do think it, it is useful um, you know a bit like most teachers you know had a mentor at the beginning of their um, career and probably do then have a head of department they go to or there's a teacher that they will work with just naturally a lot of people will form kind of their own um, network of who they will go to you know as, as a um, as a physics teacher typically it will be within my science department but often I like to go and seek out someone slightly further afield but that's mostly who I seek out or who I, I quite like how so-and-so teaches. So I'm going to go and kind of talk to them. Um, I, I don't know how, how, you know, how well it would work if it's going to be kind of imposed on. And I think that's what often happens in some big trusts. Well, you're in a trust with these schools and they're close to you. So you've got to work with them. But hang on, those schools are nothing like me or they're on a completely different path to me. Um, and, and so it, it, as long as there's some sort of, it's collaborative as opposed to but also like this they, this like it's been made in the papers that it's uh, super teachers are coming well it, this also hinges jobs. i guess and this would be 
my sort of thing is this hinges on the idea there are, um, you know, it, it's how you... A hierarchy of teachers. Well, it, we, well, correct. And it's also how you determine that. Because, the, the, you know, if it was on current form, it would be probably a case of, oh, right, um, so-and-so works in a inverted commas, outstanding school that hasn't been inspected yeah. for eight years. And therefore, they can go into a school that was you know, that's been inspected four times in the last three years and been rated, it requires improvement and tell them what to do. Um, I think... Other than that, it could be based on results. And again, there's flaws in that too. Um, you know, there's, there's many, many contextual factors to consider when it comes to, you know, results on a school and teacher level. You know, the, this is my sort mm. of um, thinking here. So that's why I was asking you both, you know, whether you would agree with the even the premise behind it of this idea of, you know, almost how how do you determine that? I mean, I worked in a school in that was in special measures um, in uh, the early two thousand, and you know that what there were then uh, school improvement people that came in to help to try and get it out of uh, special measures. That was part of the London Challenge, which mm. was funded by the last Labour government. And London Challenge has actually a really a successful reputation for having raised the standards across London schools. And so I think that idea that, that there is best practice, that effective practice that can be identified. If one school is doing it, it's it's I think it's wrong to let it just sit there and nobody know about it. So I think I see it as like a moral obliga obligation. If somebody has a really good way of doing something, then that should be shared so that other people can do it as well. So I think it's less about saying, this person is coming to tell you what to do, but more of a model of sharing what works, what's effective. And I think that's been shown to work before. So back to my original point that it's the detail that, that we're waiting on then, I suppose, that is exactly how you're going to do this. Mm -hmm. Collaborating with other with other ed educators on, on how you can improve. Absolutely. I have no, no issues with that um, as, as a premise, I suppose, is, is to answer your question. Um, you know, if you're having someone forced upon you telling you how to improve, I don't know if that's necessarily going to going to help everyone. I'm going to in in a moment. I've, we're going to move on to oracy, another amazing um, topic from this program to discuss. Um, but before I do that, it'd be a good uh, point for me to say thanks everybody who's listening live to this, um, but also to mention our two uh, sponsors on the show tonight, which is the Happy Confident Company and Pearson MFL. Uh, the Happy Confident Company provide um, uh, well-being support to young people in any school. Um, so if you're looking for programmes, for example, to run during form time uh, or during uh, particular moments in the day, it can be up to 10 minutes per day uh, with students and staff. Um, obviously, it's aimed at students then. The Happy Confident Company is well worth checking out in that regard. And also with Pearson MFL, we've got three shows. Two of them have already taken place. You can find them on the TT Radio website. We've got the last one in the series tomorrow night, um, looking at um, addressing the cultural capital in language learning, uh, cultural chasm, sorry, in language learning. We've also looked at the relevance of language learning. And tomorrow night is language beyond the classroom. So how do we enthuse students about learning languages beyond what they do in school? So if you're interested in language learning, please tune in and listen back to those and maybe check it out tomorrow night as well. We've had a few comments um, during the show. Uh, one of them from um, Paul, who says, I've been a teacher for 16 years. When do I get my £2,400? Um, Paul, you, you know, in, it's a quote those on Twitter. Stop being so bitter and twisted about it, mate. Mm -hmm. You know, 
um, you know, just just because you've you know not getting the money, Paul, um, you know, you need to calm down, mate. Uh, <laughs> that's good. We love a laugh emoji. Well done. Um, we've also had a comment um, from. Oh, hang on. These are at the top of the space, by the way. So anybody listening live, you can listen to them. Oh, my phone's just decided it doesn't want to let me read them. Oh, there we go. Uh, Mr. Taylor says, surely there's enough ex-teachers out there to staff a school improvement team to help with struggling schools. Is Mr. Taylor being sarcastic? I don't, I don't know. Let's get let's get Josh in. Let's see what he. I think it's Josh. Let's let's find out what he thinks. Um, and Paul says, I only just worked out how to comment in here. I'm a fellow Labour member and NEU rep. My bright idea is to create public sector crashes that are free for teachers and the NHS. Uh, retention problem maybe not solved, but hugely addressed. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? What what do you think of that, both of you? Public sector crashes. Uh... I mean, I think any anything that that makes um, people's lives easier in in education, I think, is a good thing. Uh, but you know, again, I, I'm I'm cautious of of just treating um, early years or you know the, the the early childhood years as as childcare. I think this this policy is trying to move away from that um, and 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 uh, you know acknowledge that there's there's a lot of development to be had there, and that you know we can narrow the gap early on, and it's good. So. Uh, if it was if it was a full full scale nursery that's doing everything they can, then yeah, I'd be definitely for that. And Mar- yeah. uh, Mary, any right. any point thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I agree with Jamie. I think on the other side, on uh, flexible working is going to be uh, really important in teaching, and obviously, as uh, we were talking about earlier, um, it's in many ways an inflexible job. And I think keeping um, parents in the workforce and enabling that flexibility. Um, is going to be really important to um, the education system in future. Mm. Let's let's move on. Um, Jamie, do you need to go, by the way? Yeah, I was just going to say that, Tom. I am right. going to have to uh, uh, Thanks very much for coming on. Now, but... Really great contributions. Yeah, and uh, Thanks, yeah, thanks very much for inviting me on. Thanks a lot. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. Right. Um, Mary, I want to ask you next about this oracy focus. Um, do, so Labour have basically said, you know, uh, we want to refocus or, or give more significant focus onto oracy. Um, what were your thoughts on that particular strand of policy? Yeah, I mean, this is something that um, we have focused on in my school, and I think it's a big divider. I, uh, we were talking about the vocabulary that children have when they're uh, really little makes a big impact and how people speak makes a big impact uh, when they are adults. And I've, I always think about if you go to a you know, top private school, um, I remember a friend of mine um, from university, he would describe his classes, um, how they did their reading before the class and then in the class they would just sit and discuss for the whole lesson. So there was no exercises, there was no exercise books. It was just a discussion like university. Uh, well, like some universities have if they have small groups, which obviously is not so many anymore. Um, so I think building that into our system to recognise that how you speak just makes such a difference, whether it's interviews, whether it's putting a po- point across in a meeting, whether it's uh, giving a presentation. There are so many ways that oracy is really important. Am I the small thought on it is that the word oracy um, is I've only realized quite recently it's very education specific a friend of mine who does communications training 
Uh, was that oracy? What's oracy? So I think there's also going to be a bit of education around the word as well. But what would you say to those who, you know, there's, there's been various sort of commentary on this. One of the one of the comments, and this is from one of our TTR hosts, Nathan, who's, who's admining the space uh, today, um, has has said that, you know, we're already doing it, um, particularly at, at sort of primary level. Um, wh- what would you say to that? Because, I mean, would you say that oracy is already embedded within what we're doing? Again, I, I think it's probably mixed. I know we are trying to do it um, as, and it's something we've done more in my school in the last, say, five years. Um, but I definitely get the sense from across different secondary schools in particular um, that it is varied. So some schools, obviously, School 21 is the um, the school that's led lots of uh, work on oracy um, and they do lots of different ways of getting children to practice speaking and listening. But I, I really don't think that we are in state schools at the same level as is common practice in some private schools. And I think it's not about be like being like private schools. It's about giving children the same opportunities. And I think it's 90 percent of children in Britain go to state schools and yet they do not have 90 percent of the um opportunities um so i think that's why oracy is so important and things that speakers for schools charities like that i think are really um important that um schools get involved in Mm -hmm. listen um labor talks a lot about like teaching skills and and more creative subjects getting more attention um what what do you think about that this is sort of moving on i guess to to curriculum in a sense I mean, I was really pleased to see uh, a, the talk of broader curriculum, specifically music, arts, sports and drama. Um, and I think that those are subjects that have been slightly sidelined in the last um, 10 years. And I think it's really important that they're seen as valuable, important, celebrated. Mm. Um, so I think that that is included um, in the assessment measures. I think that would be a sensible, a creative or a vocational subject. And then on the skills, I'm, um, I'm always, uh, so I'm a history teacher and mm. um, it, I've always, you know, the, the, the talk about knowledge versus skills, I've always yeah. seen as a, a slightly false dichotomy um, because mm. if you're writing a paragraph, you've got to have something to write about. Um, but I do think the world is changing, particularly around digital skills. Um, mm. I, somebody who works in the BFI that I know is always talking about that uh, candidates do not have those digital skills for filmmaking and uh, in the using digital uh, means to get their point across. So, um, yeah, I think it is important to look at those uh, wider skills as well. But it's also, again, in the detail of what that looks like in the curriculum. Yeah, I mean, one of the statements in the plan, um, to quote, says, a curriculum that ensures young people leave school ready for work and life, building knowledge and skills. So there's a couple of things there. I mean, the first one would be the age-old thing of, you know, people who, critics who would say, you don't know the jobs of tomorrow, let alone, you know, the future, especially with how rapidly things are changing. So the idea of getting children ready for work, um, 
by the time they fit, like by the time year sevens and eights are leaving school, that may have changed again um, in in terms of the concept of it. And the other issue, I guess, would be which you've already mentioned, which is this idea of you know knowledge versus skills, and you know the idea that without knowledge you can't do much, um, and therefore um, you know to, to be creative, for example, you need knowledge. Um, you you need domain knowledge to be able to do that. Um, I mean, what would you say to those two sort of things on that? Yeah, would you well, agree with that, or would you be sort of saying, "Hang on a minute, no, you know, we have gaps in the curriculum." I suppose my view on the the jobs are always changing. So, I this has been said obviously for a long time, and jobs have changed. Um, but there are some things that people still value. So, um, for example, having a good qualification in I use my subject history will is still valuable and is used valued by many different employers even when your job is nothing to do that uh, nothing to do with that the other thing i think it's interesting what's happening at the moment with um, artificial intelligence and and chat gpt chat gpt and how yes you still need that to get the best out of it you still need to have excellent knowledge um and I'm, i'm so i'm pleased that there is um you know talk of those skills but it's not saying and we can forget about knowledge because i think um yeah i don't think you can and it's it's um it's a false dichotomy mm-hmm. um mr taylor has commented again is it the job of schools and universities to train people for a job um surely employers should offer the training for the skills they value um yeah interesting point there josh um yeah interesting one um uh, yeah go on i I was just gonna say on the um apprenticeship in uh, apprenticeship levy there's um a good point in the document that's about that uh employees being able to use their apprenticeship levy to train people as well as for apprenticeships and i think there's um a concern and it's i've definitely come across this in my work of not using the whole apprenticeship levy um, to train apprenticeships and lots of our students go on to uh, do an apprenticeship and having that job at the end um, is I think key and that's what we've got to make sure of in apprenticeships. Yeah one of the one of the interesting things in the program that sort of leads on from that um, Labour also proposing an immediate change to, to progress eight and attainment eight to ensure that it always includes a creative or vocational subject um, Wow. I mean, that's that's a really interesting one, isn't it? Um, you know, do you agree with that? I think I mean, it is narrow at the moment, progress aid. Mm. So, um, mm. you know, and there are a lot of vocational and creative subjects. So I still think that gives a lot of scope for children. Um, I think the measure that you use for progress is, um, you know, it's it's good that they're having a assessment and curriculum review because wherever you you put the assessment measure that's inevitably where schools put focus um and so i think it is important that those creative subjects are valued and they haven't been as valued um Mm. and so whether i would um hope that technology um could be included in that um that measure Mm. we'll have to wait and see Mm. 
because I noticed Keir Starmer made some commentary as well on like digital literacy. You know, he did say, you know, we sort of need to get a balance between, you know, going to back to sort of, you know, rooms full of computers, you know, computer rooms, and then the flip side of like coding, you know, getting all students to code, which, you know, many people would sort of argue is is going out the window with AI and, and, and sort of... I don't know, the, the advancements in technology are going ahead of, of some of the things that are even on the table now. You know, yeah. like, the, the, I mean, when I think when I think about AI, I just think how quickly that landscape is going to change. Um, all, you know, it's, it's just going to change. Like, even the people running CPD on AI now in education, it probably in six months' time, it's probably going to be laughed out the ballpark by things that are going to come along within that arena, I would suspect, um, you know, when, when it comes to uh, all the different learning implications and, and classroom implications of that. But I think it goes back to the same point that still to use AI effectively, you have to still have that knowledge, you have to have that understanding. And without it, you actually can't use it properly because you don't know what it's given you back. Um, I heard somebody at the again at the festival education talk about oh well you know teacher training we'll we can get AI to just give feedback to teachers which I thought was ridiculous because there is so much you know in the human uh, task of teaching that is so complex um, that it really does take a long time to understand how to help somebody get better and spot the things that they need to do so um i think um ai has huge opportunities but um i don't think it'll ever replace uh, the mm. humans in teaching yeah um one of the things sort of that i wanted to ask you as well uh mary was about the idea of all teachers um having to have qts so um, you know, and, and one of the things I know that has sort of uh, come about based on that issue, one of the questions was around the teachers who already teach in private schools and academies who don't have QTS and are successfully doing the job already. Um, I mean, do you think this policy of, you know, pushing this idea that all teachers need QTS or whatever, uh, the, you know, whatever the qualification is, do you think that's a worthwhile thing to sort of push as a priority for Labour? Definitely. And I think if we're going to reestablish teaching as a profession that is respected and valued as a skilled job, then it's really important that you have a minimum qualification and qualified teacher status should be that qualification. And it doesn't mean that somebody can't uh, train on the job like they do now when you're on a training course to get that qualification. And I know lots of um, excellent teachers that have started in that way or that they've started as a um, at the beginning of their career that they've gone straight into the classroom with a say a teach first training course in over the summer um but they're still working towards that teach first qualification um and you wouldn't expect in another profession like in medicine for example that you wouldn't have a minimum qualification and i think children's education is as important as everybody's health so uh, mm. definitely yes Okay, uh, we've got we've got Adam Box now. Adam, do you want to unmute yourself? Bottom left. There you go. Hello, there mate. you go. How's it going? 
<clears throat> doing good. Sorry, I couldn't join from the start. How no are you? No problem. Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, listen, I'll I'll just give you a chance first to introduce yourself to anybody listening back to this as a as a podcast. Go ahead. Uh, hi, I'm Adam. I'm a science teacher. I teach in North London. Um, I'm also the education director of Carousel Learning, an integrated online learning platform that is guaranteed to. Oh, I can't remember what the strap line was. Guaranteed to uh, increase student outcomes and lower workloads. Boom. Um, and yeah, I also do a bit of writing and stuff. Okay. Well, I wanna I wanna ask you all about um, Labour's latest raft of education policy uh, announcement. So I'm just right. gonna I'm just gonna open it up by you know asking you what you think in general. If there's anything you want to particularly sort of, if you have a particular opinion on in it all. Um, <laughs> Tom asking me if I have an opinion on something. Brilliant. <laughs> I think that's a safe bet. Um, yeah, so so I think it's it's probably quite important to preface all of this with the fact that um, uh, barring some kind of act of God, you know, plagues and pillars of fire and stuff, I will absolutely 100% be voting Labour the next election. So I, I think it's important to state all that, that everything that I may or may not say is, is said as a friend, because um, I do worry sometimes that people tend to take any criticism of Labour as closet Toryism, um, but that's not what's going on here. Um, anyway, uh, bleh, bleh. let's crack on. This is why I'm not a broadcaster. Right, so I had a, I've, I've had like quite a good look at the, um, uh, at the, la- the Labour policy document, and I don't mean the articles that were published no, about it, yeah. but I mean like the, the actual the thing, thing itself. Yeah, you know, five missions. Yeah, so like when it blew up. Yeah, exactly. And and when it all blew up, it was, you know, things to do with super teachers and stuff. But like, that's actually a really small part of it. Um, and like, they don't use those terms at all. And and actually, out of the whole thing, that's, that's, that's a part of it that I don't think is, is particularly you know, controversial. It's not crazy, whatever. Anyway, um, there's some things that I like, there's some things that I don't like. So I like the, the way that they are emphasizing knowledge rich curriculum, and they're not just planning on chucking absolutely everything out, because that's one of the things that I think has been good over the last, you know, decade or so. Um, I really like the way they are trying to frame it in, um, like the the whole beginning bit basically is about how education can't be separated from wider social stuff, um, and you need to give people adequate housing and healthcare and social care and all that stuff before education actually works, which I think is really important. You know, it's and 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 actually wasn't the tone of like Sama's speech when people give these speeches and they're like education has the power to lift you out of poverty and I'm like well it doesn't really um you know it might lift some people out of poverty and and it might be there are some people without whom without education they would still be in, po- in poverty but like the idea that it would just magically work is is totally for the birds and flies in the face of absolute reality um so so yeah i think that's really important and and am i allowed to say amanda spielman's name on, on this podcast or does it like automatically get beat it down? doesn't i mean i can try and shout over you as you say it if you want but no we we, we don't no we, you're all good right Go. okay so okay so his majesty's chief inspector of schools amanda spielman gave a speech last week at the festival of education where she said similar stuff that like there's a social contract and you know there's there's a wider thing at play than just education mm-hmm. which which i think is an important framing um and the stuff on Ofsted, well now that we've mentioned Spielman, the stuff on Ofsted is kind of so so. 
Um, for a long time, Ofsted has seen itself as a judgment body and not a school improvement body. I think that's, by the way, something that people don't get. They say, oh, right, well, Ofsted come in uh, and they do their report, whatever, and then they vanish. This is outrageous. Like, where's the support, blah, blah. And they were saying, like, um, you know, why aren't Ofsted inspectors hanging around and, and giving more support and teaching people how to do their jobs better and stuff like that? And Ofsted have long maintained that that's not actually their function. That's not their job. That's not what they're told to do by government. And, and I think that's probably true. Uh, most of the school improvement stuff has been down to um, either local partners, if you're an LA school, or by the Met, that kind of stuff. But they have said, um, they, have said and I think, they improve standards, Ofsted. Correct, but they, but that doesn't mean that they are part of the um, like in-school, boots-on-the-ground improvement thing. The idea of improving standards is if, if you go into school and say, right, well, you're inadequate, and then you get rebrokered or taken over, you know, taken over by a Met or whatever, that improves the school. So that that's that's the sense in which they're an improvement body, but not in the sense that they'll go in and deliver CPD or coach the head teacher or whatever. No, no, I understand. Um, but I mean, they have, no, I get, I get what you're saying that they're, they're, they, you know, on the day to day, their actual job, I guess they would say, yeah, you know, we're not a school improvement partner, but all I'm saying is they have said, we, we, we have improved standards in school. So that suggests that they've had a role in improving standards yeah t- yeah totally t- totally totally but i think i think the 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 way the way it's done seems like there's an attempt at a pivot in the labor document mm-hmm. um so definitely a, a, a shift um it doesn't give detail to that mm-hmm. um and it does have more of an appreciation so it doesn't say anything about the grading system which is obviously disappointing because i think pretty much everyone other than ofsted and the government think that needs to go um, so that, that's definitely something that, that is, that is said, a shame so, isn't in so there. So on Ofsted, um, which we haven't actually discussed yet, uh, even prior to your, your arrival, was um, they said that um, they were going to remove Ofsted one-word judgments and replace it with, with in inverted commas, scorecards, um, which would include an annual um, safeguarding check. Um, so that's sort of what they've said. On, on... Oh, did, did it say explicitly that they were going to get rid of the one word judgments? That's yeah. what I've read. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm going to have to. Hmm. Yeah. All right. I, I alas, um, I, I'm going to chalk it up to sloppy reading by me. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's actually a good thing. Then one second. I'm just having a quick look because no, they don't say that in that doc. Yeah. In the depends which in doc. this document they definitely. In this one, they definitely do not say it. So, Mary, do you they, have? Uh, oh, it says, sorry, it says. Yeah, they, sorry, I apologise. I apologise. It says Labour's wider plan to reform Ofsted and replace headline yeah. grades yeah. with so, new report cards. So the headline yeah. grade, my apologies, would be the one word judgment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry, I apologise. My brain must have turned to jelly. So yes, that is a good thing. Um, now, obviously, the devil will then be in the detail. What's going to be in the report card? Because um, I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to strike a balance between wanting to get rid of those kind of grades, give a report card, which is probably more valid in the sense that um, it can say all of the good things and all of the bad things without having this like massive cliff edge or weighty judgment. But they're also really clear about um, that doesn't mean they're just going to let schools who are failing fail. Uh, and they've got this really rhetorical, ghastly line. Uh, where was it? They said, you know, we won't let any child fail or something along those lines. Um, so, yeah, uh, where is it? God, it's really lovely. So I'm going to read it for you. Where's it gone? Fail. They say fail a lot. 
10 times. Um, whatever it is, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty punchy on that thing. So, so yeah, it's, it's kind of a bit, I'm a bit so-so on that one. And I guess we'll just have to see how it plays out. Um, you, I want, I want to really... ask you as well there, Adam, because that sort of tied in nicely with what we were discussing just, just before that, which was like curriculum and stuff. You, you said that the, the knowledge rich curriculum has been a good thing or, or knowledge rich over the last 10 years has been a good thing. Can you sort of a expand on that and B, what do you think about Labour who've, who've said that, you know, they want to include a, a creative or vocational subject within Progress 8 Entertainment 8. They want to, they said that they want a curriculum that ensures young people um, leave school ready for work and life, building knowledge and skills. Yeah, um, I'll get to that in just a second, if that's yeah. okay. Um, I think it's a great question because um, I, I found that line. It says, listen to this, this is glorious. Working together, we will ensure report cards capture the breadth of school life while retaining triggers for interventions where serious failure is identified because labour will never stand by as children have failed. I mean, look at that. That's glorious, isn't it? Labour will never stand by as children have failed. Absolute gangsters. Love it. Right. Um, yeah, it's a great... Oh, that was my sound effect of the whole... a medal. Oh, wow. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, should, we try, should we try and do it in tandem? Here we go. Right. <laughs> Labour will never stand by as children are failed. There you go. <laughs> Brilliant. Right. Um, nonsense aside. So so that's the stuff, you know, there are a couple of things there that I think are good. The offset thing, I think we'll have to see. Um, there are some things here which are very much not good. Um, and that ranges from the technical to the pedagogical to the, uh, I guess, philosophical. Like technically, this is an absolutely dreadful document it is borderline impossible to read it is a total mess um the, there is basically no structure there's inconsistent heading and subheading um there are links that are just completely missing um and like quite annoyingly so like for example in the bit about oracy which has been much discussed it says oracy's contribution to accelerating academic progress has been evidenced by the education endowment foundation and they reference 19 you go to 19 because I would quite like to see that evidence. And it says www.nfer.ac.uk. Now, the NFER is the organization that deals with like teacher recruitment and retention, which is definitely not the Education Endowment Foundation. And even when you click on that link, it doesn't go anywhere. So, it, you know, this is like technical stuff that is, that is like really disappointing from what's supposed to be a headline document. Um, the writing is appalling. There are grammatical errors. There's a really nice one um, that might have slipped some people by. It goes like this. So Labour will review bursaries to ensure the £181 million a year the government spends on incentivizing people into teaching, listen carefully, is being best used to attract and critically to retrain teaching staff. You see that extra R in retrain? They mean retain, right? But retrain is like a valid word. And you could read that and think, oh, are we retraining teaching staff? Like, what's going on here? They have uh, commas that don't make sense, sentences that are just complete nonsense. Um, uh, where was it? So, yet the Tories have built a school system where inspection is both dreaded and ineffective, too often identifying challenges felt schools, but stemming from academy trusts. What? identifying challenges felt schools are there schools made of felt like oh, this is complete nonsense you know and there's there's stuff like this you are, know, you, saying, whole way are through. you saying that and, worries you in general like that, that that yes exactly exactly it's like it it 
you know, we should be able to just talk about the teachy type and the educationy type stuff. But like this is amateur hour. Right. And, and they just need to do better. It's it's not good enough. And the thing that makes me super worried is that it reads like it was written by a committee where it's bounced around from loads of different people. There's no one at the helm. There's no proper editor pulling the whole thing together. And and there's no one's proofread it. Right. It's clearly not been proofread. Right. Which is, is super worrying. Uh, Murray, I want to bring you in. What, what do you think? Do you agree with Adam on this, that it's, it's appalling in that sense? I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, fight back on the, um, the grammar and the uh, footnotes, but I suppose I think I, I want to point out what it's for, which is to say what Labour, some of the things that Labour would do if they got into government. And mm. I agree that documents should be of high standards, of course, and as teachers, we uh, wouldn't accept anything less. But ultimately, does it set out the principles and values on which the party would govern and therefore the choices they would make, giving some examples? And I think overall it does that. And I think, you know, fair, fair points on the feedback. But I suppose if I was there, therefore, the, the feedback could be the substance is there's lots of great substance there. And I know that um, you've said that already, um, but just have a have a have a quick double check and a proofread. Um, but I think ultimately that setting out the difference between labour education policy and conservative education policy and which where the priorities would be, i.e. with children with disadvantage children on free school meals um, who are disadvantaged by uh, schools that are not successful that um, where there is need to improve them I think overall then it sets out what Labour would do. Adam? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I sorry, I, I don't disagree that that it's that it sets out a stall. I think it's definitely, I'll get to soon. But I think it's definitely light on 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 concrete stuff, but and 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 I appreciate the feedback about the like, like technical stuff is 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 taken on board, but like it, it really does worry me. Um, and you know, there's stuff here like like at the end in the data on the appendix, it's got this big headline for example, that says uh, progress is flatlined under the Conservatives, percentage of 19-year-olds with level three attainment. But then in the graph, if you go from 2010, the percentage bar at the top looks like it's about 57%. And then, yeah, it kind of is a bit flat and hovery, uppy-downy a bit. And then by 2021-22, it's up at what looks like about 64 65%. So I... I it just really worries me because because it's 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 just it's just technically dodgy and and I very much worry that that if if you want this to be something that's like super duper important, don't put it out until it's perfect because people are going to read this stuff and even though I'm looking at it and thinking yeah we've got some substance here and we've got some substance that I agree with and some substance I don't agree with, I find it very difficult to get past the sort of you know that that kind of stuff. Can I can I move on to, yeah, Adam, to I, more substantive content? Yes, I want to go back to what I asked you five minutes ago, which was on. Yes, because I was going to get. So to you that. said the knowledge rich curriculums has or curriculum yeah. has been a good thing. You said knowledge rich has been a good thing over the last ten years. Yeah, and I wanted to dig overall, overall, overall. and I wanted to dig into 
A, what you meant by that, and also Labour saying a they want a curriculum that ensures young people have school, leave school ready for work and life, building knowledge and skills. And they also say about including a creative or vocational subject within Progress 8 and Attainment 8. I want to know your views on... Yeah, so, yeah, so th th there's quite a lot there. Um, I have absolutely no problem with the idea of including a creative or vocational option in Progress 8, provided that it's rigorous. Um, so part of the reason why stuff like that isn't there is because I think, I think for a long time, a lot of these qualifications weren't considered particularly um, highly. So, you know, the, you, if, you, if you remember the old driving license thing, um, you know, th there was stuff that could count to school accountability measures that, that Gove and friends did not consider to be like important cultural treasures. Um, I think I think there is a philosophical distinction between um, the Labour position here and certainly what we got used to under the Tories. So there is a lot here. It's not exclusively, but there is a lot here about preparation for work. Um, there's a lot here about, um, you know, equipping people with the skills that enable them to adapt to change and what employers have been asking for and um, all of this preparation for work and work and work and work and work. Um, and, and I think, look, it's... It is an internally coherent and valid educational philosophy to say that the purpose of education is to prepare students for work. Um, I, it, I think that is without a doubt part of the purpose of education, but there is a certain, um, I, I do think it's, it's a, it feels a bit lacking in this document in terms of some of the stuff that, that Gove and Gibb used to say about, you know, cultural treasures and just, you know, the fact that this is our intellectual inheritance and, and it's our obligation to pass on from generation to generation and stuff like that. Like it does resonate with me, not as, not as the sole purpose of education, but, but certainly as part of it. And, and that kind of majesty, that kind of romance um, doesn't really exist all that much um, within this document, which I think is, is a little bit missing. Um, and for me, lends to a more um, a more sterile picture of education, like like stuff like parents have complained that we don't teach students how to interview or how to budget. I mean, come on, like it's this is just so hackneyed. Can you imagine trying to teach eleven set five how to budget? Like it's just ridiculous. It's it's a skill that they won't they won't that some of them might need tomorrow and others of them might never need and the ones that do need might not need for another five years when people tell us that we need to learn how to fill out a tax return right i'm 32 years old i filled out my first tax return two years ago i mean i don't need to learn this stuff when i'm 15 years old and i can't imagine the boredom of teaching it and teaching interview skills as well i mean this is a very dodgy business like we don't we don't really know <laughs> whether or not interview skills and stuff like that can be taught or can be improved so it's really dodgy and and the same applies to the stuff where they talk about the the analytics, the problem solving, the creative, the interpersonal skills. You know, we've been, this stuff has been around for so, so long. And I'm so yet to be convinced that it's possible to teach in any kind of transferable or generalizable fashion. You know, I teach my kids how to be creative problem solvers in chemistry. Now, that doesn't mean in the slightest they're going to be creative problem solvers in absolutely anything else at all. It's just not the way the evidence points. And, you know, there are tons of studies that try and look for this elusive, generalizable creativity or critical thinking that can be taught. And, and pretty much all of them come back that it can't. So, so I really do worry that, that we're heading into... The kind of stuff that we used to have to do where we're spending whole lessons teaching analysis or teaching evaluation and it just doesn't work and and 
you know, I'm, I'm actually, to tell you the truth, I'm actually bored of discussing it because I think there are some things where like there is, there's room to give and there's room to like have a good argument about, but until someone can explain to me how me teaching my students to creatively analyze the rates of reaction practical will improve their ability to be creative in any endeavor other than the rates of reaction practical. Until someone can do that, I'm not discussing it because it, it just bores me. And there's no like there's there's no appreciation of, of the nitty gritties of what it actually looks like on the ground. What am I sp supposed to do in the classroom? And until that stuff is really presented to me and someone says, right, this is exactly what we want you to do in terms of teaching, problem solving, anal analysis, creativity. And someone says, and this is exactly the difference it will make in another domain. So it will be generalizable and transferable. It's just not worth discussing. Is there, is there an argument, though, that when it comes to the creative subjects, but also, I guess, the space for students? Because, I mean, there's one thing saying, OK, teaching creativity. That's one thing. There's another thing to say space for students to be creative within the curriculum yeah i, I already, that, I already said me, I they're, I... they're two separate issues and i wondered whether first thing yeah first things first yeah in the they gave a little table i can't remember what it was i don't think i kept it um they gave a little table where they looked at the disadvantage gap um for different subjects and i think it was trying to make a different point than the one it actually made because it turned out that actually a lot of students who are disadvantaged uh, took music a lot of students who are disadvantaged took art and design there was basically no disadvantage gap for art and design which was a bit weird given that they thought that was really important but anyway um i don't have like i said i don't have any problem whatsoever with students taking a creative subject i think it would be fantastic if more students had the opportunity to take music i think it would be more fantastic if more students had the opportunity to take design and technology i have you know i have no i took design and technology at, for gcse i think it's brilliant i have no problem with it whatsoever but it's worthy in and of itself it's not worthy because it's going to make a kid more creative right it might make a kid better at dnt but it's not going to make them more creative when it comes to you know their job in Oh, I don't know, in sales or customer service or hospitality or whatever it is, just just say, right, music is brilliant. We want students to be able to study music. Let them study music. I think that that for me is 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 the thing that's important. There'll be those who would say in a very sort of caricature way, and certainly I'm going to caricature it, but this idea of getting a knowledge organizer and drilling, you know, knowledge through, you know, sort of semi-rote learning and sort of like, oh, let's look at our knowledge points and let's like review the knowledge points and learn the knowledge points and retrieve the knowledge points and whatever. There'll be those who will say, well, that's just dull. That is not, um, you know, sort of uh, thinking about the way in which uh, the acquisition or the, the availability of things like ChatGPT and other things to, yes, you know, as... Uh, we were saying earlier, you still need certain levels of knowledge to access a program like ChatGPT. But nevertheless, there are implications for the sort of acquisition and availability of knowledge and how how uh, significant different bits of knowledge are and so on. Yeah, but I mean, these these arguments aren't no. new because of ChatGPT. No, no, they not. were, they were they, you know, they came around when Google came yeah. around. They came around but, when Encarta came around. They came around when Wikipedia came around. Yeah, but I'm, I'm just saying that ChatGPT is way beyond anything that, that it's way beyond Google, Google search. It's 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 way beyond. I mean, it, it can ChatGPT can tutor someone technically if they're engaged enough in it. 
You know what I mean? Well, I mean, to start with, it can't. It can't. Mary, yet. go on. I'll let um, Mary come in. Because Mary, sorry, I keep. That's all right, Mary. <laughs> I was just going to say on the. I I, I agree about um, knowledge being domain specific. So I, I agree with you on that, Adam. And as a history teacher, I find that all the all the time. Um, but I think there are some things that you. When I read the thing about interview skills and budgeting, I didn't think, oh my gosh, we're going to have to t- teach those. I I thought. People always think schools aren't teaching these things, and we are. So our school stops at 16. And so when students go to a to college or sixth form, they all have to have an interview. So it's the least we can do to give them some practice at doing an interview because they're going to have to go do one to get into their next school. And so I actually think it's quite a domain-specific skill that if you don't do it first at school... Um, then where where would you do it? And I think another interesting point we haven't mentioned is about the two week work experience, which would be quite a change, I think, if it was a if nationally to have a compulsory two week work experience. I agree with you about the value of education, you know, for the love of the subject and the knowledge and the joy of it. But obviously, it's got to be practical as well. So um, I I didn't think it was. I was pleased it didn't have kind of going back to teaching skills of teamwork that we had got to at one point um so i think the balance is 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 just about right adam i'll let you i'll let you sort of uh... yeah i mean i i think i think we'll just have to wait and see i think part 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 of the problem with documents like this is that it's not it's not clear what is actually going to happen and what is part of a review. So they mention a review, a curriculum and assessment review a few times. Um, and I think I think if it is the case that we're talking, oh, super minimalist position on this stuff, when we talk about budgeting, when we talk about interview skills, we're talking about helping kids get to college or helping kids get to university if they're sixth form, which again, yeah, it's something that's normal. It's something that we do. If they talk about, you know, um, when we talk about using chat GPT, well, maybe we're just talking like a couple of PSAG lessons or whatever, um, but if we, you know, and the same thing for the problem solving and, and, and indeed stuff like the Oracy, if by Oracy, which, you know, I don't know if you saw, there was a lot of chat online today about what exactly Oracy means. But if, if by Oracy, they mean, you know, teaching kids vocabulary explicitly um, and, you, and using cold call to make sure they're responding when you ask them questions, then, yeah, that's fine. But it could very easily turn into um, stuff that totally isn't there. So. Part, you know, part of my frustration here is that I'm trying to look at the words and figure out a potential future direction. And, and there is one future direction where very little changes and, and my bucket list of things that I want Labour to do with the curriculum and assessment, like, for example, reducing it by 20 to 30 percent. There is a world in which this document justifies that. But there's also a world in which this document does not justify that at all and starts doing really, really weird things and making me teach in a really, really weird way, which I remember from, you know, when I was first training um, and I very much do not want to go back to. Mary, do you want to sort of come back on anything there? Yeah, any, I, any of your thoughts? I, I agree that there, um, obviously it's going to be how how it looks in uh, practicality. Um that is going to say whether it's successful or not. And I, but I think it does take into account uh, the kind of consensus that has built um, around the amount of knowledge that is helpful for children um, to 
learn and there's lots of things I think we've learned about teaching and I think that there's been lots more about codifying what's good in the classroom and I think there will be more that um, Labour could do once in that allows that to be um, shared more broadly Um, but as you say it will all be in the detail but I think that starting point and actually in the Keir Starmer speech about breaking the class ceiling and giving the opportunities that exist um, across uh, the economic spectrum is where it starts and I think for me that's the the important bit of the principle and making sure that then what's delivered is in line with that so that we're not trying to teach skills that can't be taught in ways that can't be taught but that we're just celebrating the subjects and allowing all children from all backgrounds to succeed in a wide range of different areas yeah totally i'm I'm 100 on board with stuff like that and and if if for example this document had have only spoken about stuff like all right well let's just technocratically how are we going to make sure that every state school student has a math teacher how are we going to make sure that every state school can offer French and German and music to GCSE? Like all, I think all of those questions are, and, and the stuff about recruitment and retention, not, not retraining, but retaining teachers. Mm-hmm. I think all of that is, is, is super on point and super important. I think the technocratic stuff about, um, you know, even the idea of how of that stuff to do with the super teachers, like how are we going to do that? I know some people have, have kicked up a fuss and said, well, we already have the mats and blah, blah, blah. Fine, fine, fine. But that, that's really a, fundamentally it's, it's a technocratic question. It's a philosophical stuff that, that super worries me because the simple fact is, is this. Um, there's a guy on Twitter called Ryan Dahl who's, who's really interesting. And he posits, he uses two, two terms I think are really important. He talks about the difference between a domain elite and a domain expert. And specifically, he talks about education elites and the education experts. The education experts are the people who really, really, really know stuff about education. And there are a number of them around. But they are not always the education elites because education elites are the people who are, have a seat at the table, who are in the room where it happens, who are the guys who are uh, sitting, on the, uh, sitting on the panels and writing the papers and, and, and being, the, being the people who are really driving policy. Uh, and, and they are not they sometimes are, but they are not always education experts. And for so, 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 so long, these people who have been in charge have just given us a wealth of terrible, terrible ideas. And it all stems from these really dodgy philosophical positions that I see in this document. So like I said, could it be that this document doesn't end up being um, really, really uh, uh, retrograde, I guess is the right word. Yes, absolutely. It could be. And it will all depend on who's got Starmer's ear, because when it comes to the curriculum stuff, there's not enough meat to go on in here to really know what's going on. But if the guys with Starmer's ear are the same people that we've always had, then unfortunately, this document will take us backwards. I think it's a good case for having people from the front line, absolutely, talking to uh, government if Labour gets in. Um, I agree that it's important to have people with genuine expertise because otherwise I agree you can't have people kind of making blue sky policy that don't understand and aren't um, experts so I completely echo that and I'm sure we could do more in the uh, education uh, world to kind of make those links particularly with the Labour Party now which um, hopefully is in a good position. Adam is that a a particular comment about 
this report and the, and the and the formulation of the Labour policy, or is, it, is that just a general comment about education? I th- it's both. So it's it's a general comment about education that for decades the voices have been ones who just give these hackneyed ideological tropes that are just going on and on and on and on. And within this document, you can hear their voices, right? You can you can hear that influence. Um, and again, could it be that it's just to mollify them, to keep them quiet? Maybe. Um, could it be that the big curriculum and assessment reform that's promised in here will completely ignore them and will be taken up of people who understand the evidence um, and are trying to be practical and technocratic as opposed to ideological and philosophical? Yeah, it, it could well be. But but it makes me very worried when I see some of this stuff that's going on here because because it it's just it just feeds straight into that one stream and and whilst it's true like mary said that there's you know there is the emphasis on the knowledge rich stuff it's it's a small part in my reading it's a small part mm-hmm. i mean the, the the interesting bit i guess is is this idea about i mean do, do you, to, to take this a bit more radical it is do, do we need to sort of really rethink the the sort of hierarchy of of curriculum subjects do do you think that's a case to put across that you know that maybe maybe there's a time that we need to you know really sort of reassess what 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 what, what why are subject hierarchies the way they are or, or are you sort of happy with the way it's structured as in core subjects and and the the in inverted commas the best eight or the top eight um i uh, i think it's very difficult to this is a it's a very philosophical discussion yes, and there are lots of very very legitimate positions to take um and this is where this is where that balance is important i'm 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 a polytheist when it comes to the purpose of education because i don't believe in a purpose of education i believe in purposes so for example i believe that the art i don't i don't like on a fundamental level um like in an intrinsic level like there's no reason to say whether or not art is more important than music or is more important than computing. But when you blend that into the heady mix of, right, well, but we also have to get these children jobs and not just do we have to get these children jobs for their own sake, but like we have an economy that we need to look after. And if everyone finishes school having just studied, say, for example, music and everyone wants to do careers in music, well, we're going to have a whole lot of pensioners in 20 years time that we can't afford to upkeep. So that is part of the mix. And that, you know, that's where the, 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 this very dangerous, uh, not, I don't know if dangerous is the right words, but like um, fervent, it's a, it's, a, it's a hot pot of ideas. And I don't think there's like a straightforward route. Me personally, I think that the idea of putting maths, maths is super important, I think is totally reasonable. Putting English is super important, is totally reasonable. Um, putting sciences one step below those, I think, is totally reasonable. And then I think opening up is becomes kind of fair game um, amongst any subject that's rigorous. Um, again, I don't want the driving license back. I'm not. I don't go that far. It's not anarchy, but you know, you know what I mean. I think it's. I think what we've got at the moment, plus the addition of maybe saying put music into the progress or whatever. Um, I don't have. Um, oh no, not progress into eBay. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, eBay or whatever it was. Entertainment A, I think, is what they said. Yeah, so to the end of the one of the non eBay subjects included in people's progress entertainment A should be creative or vocational. Mm. Yeah, yeah, like you know, I, I like I said, I don't I don't object to that too I mean, much, oh, oh, Pro- provided provided we have the teachers to, le- to deliver it. 
well, quite. And and sort of the what that was the angle I was taking with it is, you know, are we too sort of traditional in in the way the curriculum is set up at the moment? You know, I don't know whether to include the term knowledge rich curriculum in that or not. But you know, are we too traditional in our general approach to curriculum in this country? Again, again, I, I, I don't know because it's it's hard to know because like in all the schools that I've, you know, the school that I work at currently, which is over 40 percent pupil premium at GCSE, we offer art, we offer drama, we offer design and technology, we offer food technology, we offer health and social care, we offer all of these, we offer PE, we offer all of these things. Um, so it's it's hard for me to, you know, my personal bias is in there and the evidence doesn't seem to suggest, I wish I could find this table again, but the evidence doesn't seem to suggest that there is actually a huge gap when it comes to, uh, where was it? When it comes to... Um, While you're finding that, Adam, I'll read out a comment that Hannah sent in and she says, the Cultural yeah. Learning Alliance um, new research shows that low-income families are three times more likely to have a degree if they study art. So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing Hannah is referring to if they study art at school at key stage three, key stage four, key stage five, potentially, I don't know, but that's what the comment yeah, but, says. But, but we'd, we'd have to look really carefully at the controls because mm. you also have like, for example, if you take London, right, you've got lots of people who are disadvantaged in London, but because of economies of scale, most schools in London will also offer art. Um, but they'll also have access to other opportunities. So the average progress rate in London is plus 0.3. Right. So you end up with a school with a student gets to choose art and gets to go to a school that is scoring above average just because it's in London. Whereas if you take that kid and you put them in rural Cumbria or whatever, uh, and the school that they're going to doesn't have enough teachers, doesn't have support, can't put on art. They're going to have other problems as well. So it, it's not as it's not that straightforward. And, and that's that's part of the thing here. Right. People will take a stat like that and then just say, right, well, we just need to offer art to everybody. But it, I don't think it quite works like that. But I think ultimately the, what the um, document, it, what the policy is suggesting is a review. Um, and I think having that review, having those voices around the table, it's time to have a curriculum and assessment review. I would uh, I think because we haven't had one um for is it about 10 years was the last one um, yeah over over so over. it's due and i think these conversations about philosophy and what um education is for and therefore which subjects should be um part of the assessment and part of what is considered in um, assessment measures um i think should all be part of that review and um so it's i would say that it's saying the right thing it's saying that that we should have a review and I think you're right to say who are those experts that we need to make sure are on that review so that um, what is decided reflects um, the consensus about um, well where there is consensus about um, recent research mm-hmm. uh, uh, listen um, I, I want to we're sort of running out of time to an extent so i want to what i'm going to do now is a really scatty and basic thing which is essentially run through every single policy they've announced really briefly and adam and uh mary you can both say win or bin (laughs) nice (laughs) yep so that's what we're doing so here we go uh two seconds let me get my my um, magic list of all the policies up and also silly sound effects (laughs) as well um so uh, it's win or bin are your options, and we're going to go through them all. So, uh, Adam, I'll start with you uh, on these. So, these are win or bin. Um, 
£2,400 to teachers after two years of teaching. Win. Hang on, let me find the bloody sound oh, effect. come on, man. It's gone. Crying out Do you want loud. me to do it? Hang on, there it is. All right. Knowledge. Oh, oh no, that's what you said. Um, uh, next one. Um, uh, putting a creative subject or vocational subject into progress or attainment A. Win or bin? If you can find the teachers, win. Uh, the idea that every teacher should have QTS or have to get it to continue teaching. Win or bin? Adam? <laughs> Borderline win. Um, reform of the early career framework. So they said that no they comment, re- no comment. I've not <laughs> delivered it. I'm not. Co- I've not delivered it. I'm not commenting on it. Okay, fair enough. Um, the idea of school improvement teams uh, going into schools, framed by the media as the super teachers scheme. Um, Drew's out. Okay, I haven't. Got I'm breaking your rules. I'm breaking your game. You are breaking your rules. I'm sorry about that. If you had to choose win or bin, though. Um, the you had to I think if, if if it was in addition to what we already have, win. And finally, uh, Adam, the removing Ofsted one-word judgments and going to a scorecard or report system. Uh, to the former, definite win. To the latter, <laughs> jury's out. <laughs> Okay. Um I think you've 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 I mean you're I think you've you've got a generally positive slant on most of the things that Labour seem to have announced there. Um Murray, I'm gonna come to you now. Same thing. Okay. Two thousand four hundred pounds to teachers after two years, a good idea, win or definite a win. Uh, ooh, this is a good one. I'm gonna throw in something Adam said. Knowledge rich has been a great thing for the last 10 years. I didn't say that. (laughs) You said something like that. I said it's been a good thing. And then later I made sure to say overall a good thing. Mm. Okay. So has knowledge rich been overall a good thing, Marie, in the last 10 years? I think overall a good focus on knowledge is good. But what you have to learn for history GCSE is extraordinary and way more than you have to do in an IGCSE in a private school. Just say. That's the wrong sound effect. Sorry, that was locust. <laughs> there we go. Um, Frogs, I reckon. <laughs> I don't know what it was. Um, Mary, next one. Um, the, oh yeah, the, uh, the putting a uh, creative or vocational subject into progress entertainment eight that's a win um qts for all teachers regardless of you know the ones who work in in private schools or academies all of them need to have qts and get qts we definitely need a qualified professional upskilled uh profession so yes definitely win um labor school improvement teams i.e super teachers uh without the i.e super teachers it is a win (laughs) 
fine. Um, removing offset one-word judgments and going to scorecards. Uh, I'm going to say that's a win as well. I think that would be bad. All right. Listen, to ask you both just before we go, your final... If if someone from Labour is listening to this, and, and I will send it to them, they're, they're not going to listen, but if... if <laughs> If if Keir Starmer just woke up and thought, "Hey, I'm going to listen to an episode from Teachers Talk Radio this morning, and I'll choose this Tom, one," don't 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 sell yourself short. There'll be some spad somewhere yes. who'll be who'll be listening. Yeah. No, I actually believe I actually that is a possibility. So, if I was to ask you both individually, what would be your message, your general? If you were to say a few things to them, the you know the policy advisors from Labour who might be listening to this, who contributed to the document or whatever. Adam, I know you're going to say, please check your spelling, punctuation, and grammar. But apart from yep. that, what <laughs> what would be your overarching advice that you would give to them, or your message to them? Adam, I'll start with you on this. Uh, my overarching advice would be to go hardcore technocratic, ditch loads of the philosophy ditch loads of the kind of rethinky blue sky type stuff. Look at what we've got. Look at how we can uh, get a spanner out and improve things um, in a way that isn't, you know, an upheaval, isn't crazy. The really boring stuff like getting solar panels onto the roofs, letting schools rent out gym halls, um, reducing curriculum by just getting rid of a whole load of stuff, that kind of thing. Okay. And, Murray? I'd say keep focusing on the early years because that's where you're going to make the most difference and do everything you can to get excellent teachers and subject specialists in front of children and keep them there. It's been an absolute pleasure and a massive thanks to Pearson MFL and also to the Happy Confident Company for supporting the show this evening and all our shows on Teachers Talk Radio at the moment. Um, it's been a really, really interesting discussion. Um, Johnny has just called in. Come on then, Johnny. You've called in while I was doing the wrap-up messages, but you know what? We're going to bring you in and hear what you have to say. Oh, he's gone. What the hell? Johnny. Johnny was calling in. I thought he was going to throw a spanner in the works, but he's gone. So that I, I will go back to what I was saying, which is a massive thanks to everybody who's listened in live tonight. Um, huge numbers of people have been listening. Some people all the way through. Special shout to Georgia, who's listened to this from start to finish. That's, so thank you very much, Georgia. It's been great. And Paul as well has been here. Paul, uh, Paul Nicholas, right from the word go. So Paul, massive shout out to you, Georgia to you too and anybody else who's been here um, from the start to the bitter end huge thanks to Adam huge thanks to Mary huge thanks to Jamie who was on earlier on as well um, and this will be available to listen to as a podcast very soon via the Teachers Talk Radio website and all good podcast platforms we will see you uh, tomorrow uh, from 6pm uh, or sorry 7.30pm onwards tomorrow night till 10 o'clock with two live shows um, thanks very much, everybody. Thanks for listening. See you again soon. No worries. Bye, Bye mate. Thanks. Cheers, Anna. Bye. Bye, mate. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.